No one makes it easier to create interactive content that drives engagement from your customers than Constant Contact. Unlike other solutions, Constant Contact has a smooth drag-and-drop design, which provides the most simplified editing experience possible. And if you want to talk strategy with a marketing expert, you can turn to Constant Contact's free live coaching for help. See how you can be a marketer with a free trial at constantcontact.com slash podcast. Welcome to The Ziggler Show. This is episode 457. Today, we have John Miller, author of QBQ, The Question Behind the Question, in the studio with us. Our focus for inspiring your true performance today is personal accountability, something all of us fail at some degree with and can utilize to our great success by increasing it. This was a very high energy show. You're going to get tremendous value from it as we did. You're what you are and where you are because of what's gone into your mind. You can change what you are. You can change where you are by changing what goes into your mind. You cannot become what you need to be by remaining what you are. If you can't take a huge step to begin with, take as big a step as you can, but take it now. That's the key. Take it now. You can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. Today is a brand new day, and it's yours. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and today we've got John Miller. He shares my last name. He lives in Colorado, as I do, and he has more than a quiver full of kids, as I do as well. He's got seven. Uh, But for the past decade and a half, his book, QBQ, The Question Behind the Question, has been purchased in truckloads by Fortune 500 companies and pretty much any corporation or business worth its salt. Additionally, the book has become a foundational classic on the shelves of those individuals uh, globally. You're going to hear why as Tom Ziegler and I talk with John. It's a very timely message as the topic of entitled millennials is getting great attention as of late, but it is relevant for all of us in a dramatic way. If you don't know of John, a couple things about him. He has one clear mission. It's helping organizations make personal accountability a core value. Though again, as you're going to hear in the show, this book and message has become a primary personal development tool for tens of thousands of individuals. John is the author, of course, of QBQ, The Question Behind the Question. That was the foundational book, but also of the book Flipping the Switch, Another one, Outstanding, 47 Ways to Make Your Organization Exceptional. And he's a co-author of Raising Accountable Kids and the QBQ Workbook, all of which we'll touch on in the show. You can connect with John and find out more, which you're going to want to do after you hear a little bit about him, uh, at QBQ.com. Okay, that's QBQ.com. Okay, a couple quick things before we start the interview here. Uh, number one, Tom Ziegler and I have an upcoming Q and a show, uh, coming up just the next uh, week or two. And if you want us to answer or address your personal question on, as you're on your personal journey of inspiring true performance, go now to ask.zigshow.com. You can just type it in there. You can even speak it and leave an audio message that we can play or simply email us at ask at 
askzigshow.com. Again, the URL ask.zigshow.com. You can go there or just email us at ask at zigshow.com. The question you have for your own personal journey is shared by thousands of others. I guarantee it. So please give us your personal questions. Uh, and number two, if you've gotten value from the show, please subscribe uh, to the show and give us a rating and a review in iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you listen. This helps others find us. So I uh, appreciate that in advance. All right. Well, with, uh, with that said, we are going to dive in with John Miller and talk about the question behind the question. Well, John, welcome to the Ziggler show. Thanks so much for taking the time to share your message with us. Glad to be here, Kevin. Tom too. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. We're both standing here. Come on, John or uh, Tom, hold your book up. We'll do this for the, uh, for the viewing audience. There we go. All right. Perfect. Love it. Uh, and, I, and I appreciate that it doesn't do it backwards like uh, so often happens with the video. Well, hey, I want to start off, John. I, I hear there's a Zig story, something about a special phone call you received. Yes, it was years ago when my QBQ book had first come out. I think it was the summer of 2002. And I knew a friend of Zig's had loved the book and he had given a copy to Zig. And one day I got a phone call and the caller ID said Texas. And I don't know why my... Um, my gut just told me this could be the call. Not that I expected Zig Ziglar to ever call me, but of course, once I heard his voice, you know, I said, hello, or, you know, QBQ, good morning. And, and the voice said, I'm looking for the author of that QBQ book. <laughs> and I said, well, this is Zig Ziglar. I'm going to sell you a bunch. <laughs> he laughed and we must've talked for half an hour. And he wanted to tell me he had read the QBQ book and he loved it. And he picked out a few stories that he really appreciated, like chapter one, J Jacob and the Diet Coke story and all that. So obviously for a young speaker, it was so much fun to hear from the greatest motivational speaker of all time, Tom's dad. Mm -hmm. So that was an exciting moment for this young guy. So did he buy a bunch of books is what I want to know. Well, I made the classic mistake. You know how we tend to give stuff to people who can afford to buy it? <laughs> yeah, yes. No, I think I shipped him 50 books for free, which I didn't need to do because I assume Zig had a little money in the bank. But, you know, it was like, I can't possibly take money from Zig Ziglar. Uh -huh. I mean, this is a story you don't know. Years earlier, when I had been selling training for seven years up in Minneapolis, St. Paul, a friend of mine had loaned me a series of VHS tapes featuring Zig Ziglar. And I was selling training and presenting to groups, but I wasn't a speaker. This was 1992, and I will never forget, in January of 92, 93, somewhere in that range, I was sitting down in the basement, an unfinished basement, on the couch, in my robe at 10 p.m., watching Zig, and at one point, I said out loud, I mean, I was all alone, I said, that's what I want to do, that's what I want to be. Wow. And three years later, I left that training company and dubbed myself keynote speaker on personal accountability, and, you know, the rest is history. In a lot of history, I, I've heard stories and I know you've been in front of so many audiences. Matter of fact, I was, uh, I asked Tom about his history with you and he said that he thought that it was at a Ramsey, at a Dave Ramsey, someone else our listeners know well, at a, an, was it an Entree Leadership uh, event? Yeah. I went to an Entree Leadership and I, I think, John, your book is part of the package that Dave gave out to yes, us. Yes, it still is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I think I'd also gotten one in 2002 from dad because I was obviously. At the, yeah. And, you know, I love just so everybody hears this. I love this story because 
what people don't know is the thing that makes me probably as proud as anything of my dad is he took the time to call people who were in different, different stages of the journey. Right. And just encourage them, right. Whether it was, they just started speaking or they just came out with their first book or whatever, if it impressed him, he would then pick up the phone and immediately call him. And and that's just rare. I mean, you know, we don't hear enough of that, but that was just the way dad was. Well, obviously your father was an, an amazing man and you've gotten so many accolades, Tom, for your dad and maybe you now too. You're probably tired of hearing it, right? <laughs> you don't get tired of that. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Well, I can understand. My dad was Cornell wrestling coach for 26 year, years, a pastor for 40 and a local politician in upstate New York. And and I go home now and, and obviously my dad wasn't famous like your dad, but People say, I miss your father. He made, so, he made such a difference in my life. He meant so much to me. And he was born in 21, about five years ahead of your dad. So I can understand. And, of course, Kevin has the great Dan Miller as a father who, Kevin, I'm not sure if you know this. He had me on his show 10 years ago. Oh, so you're finally, you're finally catching up. I'm, I'm at, least, <laughs> at least that far behind, if not, if not further. Well, speaking of that, your book, QBQ, has been so foundational for so many people, so many organizations for a good while now. And I want to really dig in deep. Even those who are listening, who are familiar with it, familiar with the message, maybe gotten it. Well, I, I have too. And digging into it now has brought it uh, to life again. And I, I want to dig into the message. I mean, this is your flagship. So the question behind the question, and I want to start by just boiling down the essence, especially for those, uh, there's going to be 50,000 Ziegler listeners who are going to hear what you say next. And I was, I just wanted you to start to jump off with what is the primary problem that you know that our audience has or a desire that they, that they have that QBQ is going to meet and solve and provide for them. Well, if you're as human as Adam and Eve and the snake, you might have some blame going on in your life. And everybody does. And of course, there's blame everywhere in our culture today. But let me give you a little history. I think that always helps listeners and viewers if we give a little history. I came out of Cornell in 1980, and I married my 19-year-old girlfriend that year. So we'll hit 37 years soon. And we moved out to the Midwest with a big company called Cargill. And I spent five years moving to three or four cities with them, Karen and I did. And I wasn't cut out to sit at a desk eight to five. And in late 85, a friend said to me, why don't, why don't you get into sales? And I said something like, no, not me. But uh, then I found a sales position. But in my opinion, not just selling medical products or, or copiers, which is all worthy, but I found something that matched my God-given gifts, but I didn't know it at the time. And that was selling training. So not only was I hired to persuade executives, I was also hired to teach and train. And coming from a coaching family, that was a nice fit. So I started selling training in Minneapolis-St. Paul, leadership training, sales management training. And not only would I sell the training, I would also facilitate three-day workshops with senior executives and middle managers. And I sat in the back for two-thirds of the time, allowing the client to do some facilitation. I won't get into details, but I had a lot of time to do the listening. And after about eight years, I finally caught on to something. People ask really lousy questions. What I was hearing was questions like these. Why do we have to go through all this change? When is someone going to train me? Why don't they pay me more? When will that department do its job right? Who dropped the ball? Who made the mistake? Who came up with that dumb idea? And one day I thought, okay, there's got to be a better question here. And I called it the question behind the question. 
And the next day, I went and taught this little tiny idea. Hey, let's take questions like, when is someone going to train me? And let's turn them around, ask the question behind the question, something like, how can I develop myself? Instead of asking, when will that department do its job right? How about asking, how can I better serve them? Instead of asking, why don't I get paid more? What about asking, what can I do to be my best today? So I taught this to a group in St. Paul, Minnesota in 1994, and it was quickly shortened to the QBQ because everybody loves acronyms. And I came back a few months later, and this, this VP of operations and the VP of HR were using it. And you folks are in the training business, and I would guess 90% of training doesn't work, doesn't stick, doesn't last, doesn't make a difference. So when you find something that really people remember and use it's like, whoa, I've got something here. So I'm in their office, and the VP of operations is looking at the VP of HR, and they're both working on a problem, talking problems, and they're saying, wait a minute, we need to ask the QBQ here. And I remember sitting there at age 36 thinking, wow, they, they're using it. They like it. They're applying it. Well, within a year, I left my mentor and went off to speak, not sell training, though I do sell training now. I went off to be a speaker, and I, you know, I, I was teaching this QBQ thing about personal accountability and I was teaching some leadership stuff and seven steps to trust building. But guess what I found out in the first six months, people were only remembering the QBQ. I mean, there's about 1.2 million leadership speakers out there. We all know that a lot of great people on customer service and attitude and motivation, but I was teaching a tool that people could use to practice personal accountability in their life at home and at work and get rid of blame and some other traps we can talk about. And so very quickly, we did a couple smart things. We moved out of Minnesota down to Denver and my career took off and companies like State Farm found me. And by, before I knew it, I'd done 73 engagements for State Farm and then Merck Pharmaceutical and firms like that. So what I had discovered by accident, I take no credit for it, is the core problem in organizations is a lack of personal accountability, and the QBQ gave them a way to implement it. Okay, so I wanted to ask you right there again for the however many tens of thousands of people listening who have not heard this message, they have not read the book, just to simplify, break down, define what you mean by personal accountability. We can all hear that. We can all give it head knowledge, but give us a tangible uh, definition for it. Well, we actually find that there's a couple of myths of accountability that have crept into organizations. One of them is we think it's a group thing. We've done so much team building over the years. I am convinced we've lost sight of the power of one, the individual, the Kevins and the Toms and the Johns that can make a really big difference through their own actions. Of course, their own attitudes, as Zig used to talk about. And we've lost sight of the person. So now we get people hiding behind the team. I mean, for you listeners and viewers out there, just imagine people in your company saying, well, the team didn't get it done. The team didn't have enough resources. The team wasn't committed. Nobody on the team cared as much as I cared. All of a sudden, we're hiding behind the team. The team has become the excuse. We're blaming the team. But when we find an outstanding organization, we find outstanding people doing good things. So it comes back to me, personal accountability. So the first myth of accountability is we think it's a group thing. But the other myth is we think it's something I hold others to. My wife and I wrote a parenting book called Raising Accountable Kids, and it's just hilarious. Uh, yeah, I haven't. I happen to have a copy of it too, Kevin. I don't know how that happened. Oh, yeah, I got <laughs> so mine. I'm holding mine up too. All right. So we mailed out an email, or we sent out an email to a couple thousand people who wanted to hear about the book when it came out. And it was so funny, about 100 parents sent us back notes like, 
Oh, finally. Thank you, Karen and John. A book I can use to make my 12-year-old do his homework. (laughs) Or a book I can use to get my millennial son off the couch and out in the workforce. A book I can use to get my teenage daughter to speak to me respectfully. I wonder what happened when they got to page three. And in page three, Karen and I write this. My child is a product of my parenting. Hmm. Period. End of story. No more blame. So the two myths of accountability are we think it's a group thing and we think it's something I should I can hold others to. Managers fall into that trap every single day. I'm going to call my people in on Tuesday and I'm going to hold them all accountable, we hear all the time. That's not what we're teaching in QBQ. We're teaching a way for me to rise above the problems of the day, the frustrations, negative feelings that come to all of us and ask, what can I do to make a difference? How can I serve people today? That's what the question behind the question is all about. So personal accountability, as we define it, is making better choices in the moment, making better choices in the moment. And of course, we all make choices all day long, but we're not choosing our next action. A lot of companies get off track talking about best practices. We should be talking about best thinking. I'm always choosing my next thought. So the QBQ is a tool and we can unlock it and explore it, but it's a way for me to choose a better thought so I can get out of the blame game. Well, this is obviously very near and dear. You know, no wonder Zig bought a lot of or wanted a lot was give received uh, yeah, a lot of your way. books that, uh, <laughs> because I mean this is the heart of of Ziggler's bringing it back to us. I mean, Tom, that was uh, that, that is that's a root that's a pillar of Ziggler uh, yeah. for sure. In this book, QBQ, which is at this point, uh, I think did you say it was published in two thousand one? I think I saw. Well, it first came out in 2001, and now we're into five generations of the book, and the most recent version just was released by Penguin Random House. Okay, so in that, this has become a classic in business and in personal development, and you mentioned something a minute ago. You just referenced culture, and I did have that question. Since you published this first one and now have gone through these revisions, in that time, what what have you seen changed or evolve in regards to the message or in the way that it needs to be delivered uh, to the culture in today's world or, or just issues that are happening. Are you seeing a bigger, and I don't know if I want to say a bigger need, but a bigger void. Are you seeing what's happening? Well, John gives us an insightful and highly relevant answer to that question right after I thank Captera for their support of this episode. I've been a lifetime entrepreneur myself because I love building ideas into viable businesses. I did not go into business to worry about how to track applicants or figure out email marketing. So don't let those things dominate your time. There's software out there that can handle all the day-to-day busy work for you. You just need to find it. That's why I'm telling people about Captera.com. Captera helps you find the software solution for your business needs. It's an easy to use website with over 400 categories of software to choose from. Whether you need help with website building, customer service, or project management, Captera is the place to go. They have thousands of ratings and reviews from actual software users just like you. And here's the best part. Using Captera is absolutely free. There's no obligation. You don't need to register. It's a free resource that will help you make the right software decision. So join the millions of people who use Captera every month by visiting captera.com slash Ziggler and find the software that will help you do what you do better. Again, that's Captera, C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A.com slash 
Ziegler to start your search today. I would say this without getting political here, the fan base of QBQ, people who have known it for years. And that, this is what I'm, ha- I'm finding as I get older, I'm, I'm pushing 59 now. Uh, people who saw me speak at Wells Fargo in 1999 are now with Caterpillar and they contact me and they want me to come teach personal accountability there. And here's the reason. What they've seen over the two decades is more entitlement thinking, mm. more handouts, not handouts verbally, but I mean, as a verb, but people with their hand out wanting something to be given to them. Uh, younger people, maybe the older generation, of course, you know, every generation thinks the generation below them causes all the problems, sure. but there's certainly a belief that millennials today might need this message of personal accountability, but I never blame the millennials because we raised them. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. taught them something. We taught them that they're going to win a trophy just for participating. But the bottom line is we find our clients are saying, so many people are coming to work with their hand out, entitled, expecting. They're not willing to work as hard or they want to blame or they want to make excuses. And so these people contact us. And one of the, one of the things we tell them is, you know, in the interviewing process, have, have your candidate read QBQ and come back next time and, and tell you what it meant to them. Because what you're really saying to the, the culture out there is, hey, the world might be full of uh, entitlement, but not here. Not here. Here we work. Here we put our nose to the grindstone. We will reward you handsomely, but here we're going to ask, what can I do to serve and what can I do to make a difference today? We work in this organization. And so you can't have work as an ethic without personal accountability. Well, so yeah, go ahead, Tom. Yeah. Let me, let me just jump in there. Um, when I, when I'm doing a, a presentation and I'm, and I'm working with an audience and especially I'll call them the 35 and under group. I'll take them through this sequence. And, and what I'm really saying is your future is your choice. Right. And I'll, right. And, and then I'll ask them this question and I'll say, do you trust me? And of course they all trust me because it's halfway through the day. And I'll say, okay, repeat after me. I'm not going to tell you what I'm about to say. I just want you to repeat after me. And then I say, I am. And they all say, I am ridiculously in charge. And then they say ridiculously in charge. There you go. Of my dreams. Yes. And they say of my dreams. And then I don't say anything. And I let it go silent for about 20 seconds. And there's just this overcoming of bewilderment, amazement. And then this all of a sudden, this sudden sense of empowerment. Oh, great. That comes over the room, right? Because they've never been told that. No. They've never been told that. And the world has taught them if things don't go well for you, Blame somebody, blame your parents, blame Hollywood, blame the president of the United States, blame somebody. There is so much blame. And I know your listeners are thinking that's not new, but I do believe over the decades I've been in the training business, it's gotten worse. So how do you, how do you, you know, just right now coach somebody out of that? Either, either they don't believe they really can get out of it or they're working with somebody who has that mindset that it's not their responsibility, it's somebody else's. Well, obviously, if we were going to counsel somebody, we here's what I found. Personal accountability and truth are like twins. I mean, they're so intertwined, you can't separate them. So what you find is like a salesperson who doesn't meet quota. The really good ones are going to say, my bad. I own it. I didn't work hard enough. I didn't make enough calls. I wasn't creative enough in reaching my clients, whatever. And the blamers are going to say, well, if we only had better products, if we only had new brochures, if we only had better pricing, 
the, the, the competition is cheaper than we are. I mean, your father taught millions of salespeople basically what I'm saying. You can either externalize and blame all those other things around you for your results, or you can speak truth and say, okay, I'm frustrated, but if I had done these things, I would have sold more product, period. And that's an attitude. That's a way of living. That's a way of thinking. My wife and I have been married, as I mentioned, 37 years. This material is so applicable to marriages and relationships and parenting, and we have seven kids. Anytime there's a frustration, a dilemma, a problem, a conundrum, looking in the mirror is so incredibly healthy because that's what QBQ basically says. You know, in spite of what your dad did and what I'm doing and what Kevin's dad and Kevin's doing, you know, I think the greatest self-development tool is the mirror. I mean, why do we hold all these seminars? Let's just give everybody a mirror. All you got to do is look in the mirror and say, you know, my relationship with Karen isn't as good as I want. What can I do differently? My sales numbers are down. What can I do differently? At work, I'm not getting promoted. I'm not getting a pay raise. What can I do differently? The mirror, personal accountability, truth, they're so intertwined. And so when we work with people, and we don't do one-on-one coaching, I don't want to mislead your audience, Tom, but when we work with people, it is about sitting down and saying, okay, let's identify the reasons that you have now turned into excuses. And let's start learning how to turn those questions around. So instead of instead of asking, why don't people do more for me? What can I do differently today in my job to be better than I was yesterday? All the QBQ is doing is turning the question inward so I can unlock those great talents, those great God-given resources, those amazing abilities, and those dreams, Tom, that you talked about. I am ridiculously responsible for my dreams. Agreed. I can feel disappointment coming on that you're not going to be writing Raising Accountable Spouses, huh? So this is... Um, here's, here's a rule you learn when you're the QBQ author. You never refer to the book when you're talking to your wife. <laughs> Unless uh, it's for you. Okay. <laughs> okay. I hear, I, I received I mean, that. Believe me, believe me, over 20 years of speaking on QBQ or since 1995 or so, uh, you think my kids have ever said this, uh, dad, is there a QBQ here for you? <laughs> yes. Said that many, many times. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's excellent. Well, I love that. Greatest tool is the mirror. That's uh, a great quote. Uh, and, and John, so, you know, Zig self-talk cards, which is, you know, the methodology there is get in front of the mirror, talk to yourself. Uh, we did a show on that long time ago. It's probably been one of the most popular ones and the testimonials I, I, a week. There's definitely a week that, that uh, never a week that goes by that. We don't get a personal testimony about a life change from looking in that mirror and reprogramming their brain. Well, to what you said about me asking about the culture and the changes um, you know, I know for a while we've been getting communications from corporate America lamenting that here are all these kids coming out. They've got the degrees, but they're lamenting the soft skills, the personal relationship skills, the personal accountability to get the job done. And right now it is, we've got this viral video going uh, from Simon Sinek, who we've interviewed here on the show and talking about millennials and addressing this issue of entitlement. So that sounds bad, but my thought is, and I'll put it to you is, Okay, but for those listening who feel like they're in that, if you're a millennial, as opposed, or, or as, as well as the rest of us as well, there's also, is there not a bigger opportunity to also stand out and shine from the rest? It's funny, you just word the word, excuse me, you just used the word shine. Uh, this is a little off the beaten path here, but I, at QBQ.com, I blog every week like most people do. 
And I, I wrote one a few about two years ago. I walked into a Starbucks in the Rockies, Rocky Mountains, and there was a 22-year-old absolutely scrubbing, sorry to say this publicly, the urinal like I'd never seen. The, 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 the silver part gleamed. And I said, young man, step away from the urinal. <laughs> Because I wanted to take a picture of it. <laughs> so I, I took a picture of the, just the top of the urinal. I kept it clean, okay? And I posted about it. I said, I met a millennial who cared about his work. He was scrubbing, using elbow grease, polishing it. And I, I talked to him for a while. I said, did you know that cleaning bathrooms was going to be part of your barista job? And he said, well, I kind of did because my sister worked here before me. But it was so marvelous to watch a young man care about his work. They're out there. People are out there that care about their work. It doesn't have anything to do with age. I think the difference with millennials is they're, they're, they want to rush everything. They want everything faster than my generation did. When I joined Cargill in 1980, you know, I was not expecting a promotion or a raise probably in the first year. Only got a week's vacation. So maybe it's the expectations. Maybe that's the difference. But I think a message like QBQ helps people slow down and say, wait a minute, I need to earn what I get in life. That's a key phrase. I need to earn it. We do need to teach our kids to learn to earn. And instead of being having it given to me where I should get it just because I've been here 90 days, have I earned it? Yeah. Have I been my best? Have I met my boss's expectations? Have I solved my boss's problems? That's what great employees do. They're always working on their boss's problem. So we could talk about a lot of things here, but fundamentally, when you look at whether a 20, it's a 22-year-old or, or a 52-year-old, to come in the door each day and say, I own the place, mm-hmm. not financially maybe, but I own my results, my output, my work today, and whether I get my goals accomplished, am I working the right problems? It's all about me. See, see, I think it's a lie. Okay, my wife gave me a t-shirt, says it's all about me. <laughs> I don't think it was a positive marital statement oh, right, that day. Right. But I looked at that and I thought, Jeepers, that's exactly what I've been teaching. It's not about the team. It's not about the department. It's not about my boss. It's about me being my best. So instead of hiding behind the team or blaming my colleagues or whining about my boss, what if I said, what can I do today to help the team move forward? What can I do today to help my boss look good? Nothing wrong with that question. What can I do today to earn my key? That's all QBQ teaches. Now, you mentioned a key phrase, Kevin, self-talk. Of course, Zig was teaching self-talk before most of us knew what it was. But here's what the QBQ tends to do. And again, I got lucky. It gives people a way of changing their self-talk because there's a three-step formula to the QBQ. So when I go in to speak, I don't go in and shame people like sometimes executives do. Executives will say, you need to be accountable. We actually unlock a tool that gives them a methodology for not asking, why don't I get paid more? And to start asking a better question that leads me to taking ownership for my life. Before I throw the next question at John, I want to thank Zip Recruiter for their support of this episode. If you are in the position with your business or company to be hiring, do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Posting your job in one place is not enough to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all the top job sites. And now you can with Zip Recruiter. ZipRecruiter already has 9 million resumes you can search through in their database. You can add multiple people to your account to make it possible and efficient for your team to find the best hire. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 200 plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. 
ZipRecruiter's handy website shows trending career fields, cities, and searches. You can find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll into ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. And if you run into any issues, don't fret. ZipRecruiter's friendly and human support staff is ready to help. So find out today why ZipRecruiter has been featured on Forbes, Wall Street Journal, Time Magazine, The New York Times, TechCrunch, and CBS, and why it's been used by over 1 million businesses. So right now, Ziggler Show listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com dot com slash free trial. Okay. So in that, it made me think of the reality, John, that is a sad one and is depressing to a degree that I am not, I am not, uh, it's so rare to find somebody who takes pride in their work, especially in a more menial, uh, job, but even overall. So I got to tell a story. This happened last night. I was sitting in my living room, uh, my wife's uh, sister, my sister-in-law, was sitting there. I was asking about her work. She's a high-end radiologist in Austin, Texas, and uh, talking about her her model and what she does. And, you know, just really picking, because I like to do that with folks, and came out that she makes double what her peers do. Same degrees, same, you know, same under knowledge and, and expertise. You know, she makes double. And of course I, so why pulls out? She, I just, and she wasn't uncomfortable with it, but it what didn't flow off perfectly, but she's like, I'm the best. Yeah. Okay. Now, now here's somebody and she is, uh, I think she just, she's turned 50. So, uh, but even there, I thought in that moment, I am not used to hearing that. I am not used to hearing. And for her, you know, you could say that, gosh, that sounds arrogant. She makes double. It's hard to, it would be a lie to not own up to it. It's, well, she's doing something right. And she's doing something others aren't doing. We teach in my book, which is titled outstanding, outstanding organizations have the extra edge because people like your family member go the extra mile. It is so simple. We wonder, why do some companies stand out? Well, it's not the senior members of the executive team. It's not good luck. Always, it's not market fortunes. It's individuals at the grassroots doing the right things at the right time in the right way. They're going the extra mile. I'm always amazed when somebody sends me a customer service story. And if you boil it down, it's simply... It comes down to this. Somebody did something for another they didn't have to do. That's our definition of service. Doing something for another I didn't have to do. And every customer service story you've ever heard that people are telling you at a party because they're excited about it, there's always a moment where somebody did something for another they didn't have to do. And those people are rewarded. They go the extra mile. Their company has the extra edge. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Uh, Well, um... I just... I'm getting excited about this because uh, one of the things that we teach is called the Ziegler performance formula. And what it is, is attitude times effort times skill equals performance. So I'm going to have you add to this. Uh, What we mean is, is if somebody's first day on the job, they're scared, they're nervous, they haven't been given any work to do, they don't have any skills. So it's attitude's a one, effort's a one, skill's a one. So one times one times one is one. So they've been there a while. Their attitude's better. Their boss has given them some positive feedback. So their attitude's a two. Their effort's a two because they're doing work. And their skill is a two because they've been trained. 
So two times two times two is eight. Mm -hmm. That's where most of the world stops. Ah, yep. Yep. Right. I'm doing what boss told me to do. I'm not doing any more, not doing any less. The training they gave me, well, it was good enough. You know, I'm not going out and investing money in myself in effort. Hey, as long as I'm faster than the slowest guy on the team, we're OK. Right. So I have this ownership thing. And it says, if you ever wondered why the top five percent in any industry out earn the average four five, six, seven times to one, it's because they go ownership. They own their attitude. Mm-hmm. Nobody determines their attitude but themselves. Their effort, hey, they don't care what average does. They want to know what number one does. They Exactly. They work harder. They work smarter, more efficiently. And skill, man, this training you brought me is fantastic. Yeah. I'm still going to invest in myself. I'm going to go the extra mile. I'm going to read books. So the ownership level is three times three times three is 27. So you see how it's a multiple. Very so here's my... Add to this. So what is the question behind the question that I can ask myself for attitude, effort, and skill? Well, there's three separate things there. I'll just spit. Yeah, three different questions is fine. Uh, What can I do to change my thinking today? See, that admits that my thinking is off track. The minute I ask you, we teach in QBQ, the answers are in the questions. The answers are in the questions. So for me to even pause and say, well, what can I do to improve my thinking today? I've just admitted and taking ownership for my lousy thinking, as your dad would have called it, stinking thinking. I understand that, you know, skills. I go around the country now teaching everybody, I mean, people of all ages, what I'm trying to say, do not wait for your manager to develop you. And of course, the odds are today, we all know this here, and your listeners know, you're not going to probably retire with your employer. That doesn't happen much anymore. So are you really going to give up the amazing gift of being better to your boss? What if he or she's a lousy trainer, lousy communicator, lousy coach? So we teach people to stop waiting for the company and start asking, what can I do to develop myself today? How can I learn new skills today? All of these QBQs I'm throwing out have a common theme. They begin with what or how. This is the formula. They contain the word I because I can only change me. And they always focus on action, doing something. And the I is so critical. You know, you've probably heard of Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey's had me on a few times. And the QBQ book is the first required book for his employees, his staff to read. I'm honored that's been going on a long time. You heard about it through through Dave Ramsey. At the end of every interview, Dave tends to ask me, so John, what's the number one takeaway from the QBQ message? And I always say the same. I can only change me. Because what we find is husbands are trying to change wives and dads are trying to change their 20-year-old sons and colleagues are trying to change each other and bosses are trying to motivate the people, which is really just a way of changing them instead of coaching and co- coaching and providing them tools and skills. So people walk away from QBQ, whether they've read the book, go through our training, see Kristen, my daughter, speak. She, she's with me in, in this company, or me speak. They, they walk away and they go, you know what? I've been trying to fix others. No ownership there. I've been trying to fix others. Today, I'm going to let all that go. What a waste of energy and time and talent. And I'm going to ask, what can I do to change me? What can I do to change me? That's where you find the best people. That's mental health. I don't teach mental health or emotional maturity, so to speak. But I do teach, what could I do if I started putting all my energy into just John Miller? Not trying to fix my wife or my kids or my boss or my colleagues, just me. What could I do if I just tried to change me? I could do great things. 
Okay. So in that you mentioned actionable. Um, so in looking in the mirror, which our listeners are used to us talking about in relation to Zig self-talk cards, I want to help us help me right now. So we can do a coaching session, you and me right now, become aware. So in personal accountability, what is the, uh, the mindset, the traits, the, the telltale signs of someone who is lacking in personal accountability. This is the power of QBQ. It okay. changes the way I think, but it also changes the way I talk to myself, which is the same as thinking, but I, it changes the way I even speak to others. So instead of saying to your wife, you know, why don't you do more for me? Ask a question that begins with what or how contains an eye focuses on action. You know, Hey sweetie, what can I do for you today to cherish you more? What can I do to serve you? And implied in that is action. What we want to listen for is our self-talk and the words that come out of our mouth. There's three kinds of things to listen for. Why questions, who questions, when questions. We teach don't ask why, if it sounds like this, why is this happening to me? Why don't they pay me more? Why don't I ever get a break? Why don't people do more for me? All of that is victim thinking and victim thinking or entitlement. Kind of, we treat those the same. QBQ busts those traps of victim thinking and entitlement. Second type of question to listen for is, are you asking any when questions? When will they get back to me? When will the customer return my call? When will I get more coaching? When will the CEO give us the vision? You know what? Years ago, we did our jobs without the vision. That's a real myth in the training world. Every CEO has to see tomorrow. I don't know a single CEO who can see tomorrow. Do you? So stop standing around the water cooler saying, when are they going to tell us what's going on? How much better it would be to say, well, what can I do right now to make a difference? And then lastly, avoid who questions because they're the blaming questions. Who dropped the ball? Who missed the deadline? Who made the mistake? Whose dumb idea was that? Who's going to improve this place? Wait a minute. Blame. Blame. Let's see. Solves no problems breaks down teams, destroys relationships, hurts creativity, lowers productivity. I could go on and on the cost of blame and finger pointing. So what you want to do is listen for why questions, victim thinking, when questions, procrastination, and who questions, blame. Listen to those kinds of questions. If you're asking those kinds of questions, you're probably not practicing personal accountability. Okay. So I'm curious on that because what came to mind is ego. So on one hand, I don't want to be accused of a fault and I can have a tendency to look for where's the blame. So it's not on me. Is that, as that an aspect of ego? But then on the other side, as I heard you talking about it too, we're also talking about from an ego perspective, one that you'll convict me on is, am I giving though, how much power am I giving to other people, to other circumstances. Yeah, I, don't, I don't use the word empowerment, Kevin, only because it became such a buzzword in the 90s. But in reality, when I stop blaming and start saying, what can I do today to be better? How can I contribute? I have empowered myself. I have so much talent that goes to my, I go to my grave with, as you guys know, so much talent unused. And as long as I'm pointing fingers, holding out my hand because I'm entitled, blaming others and whining, and I'm not being my best. I'm not being my best. I've got to look in the mirror and ask these accountability questions and take action now. I also need to make sure that I'm not really pointing fingers at people around me, but saying, okay, I am frustrated. Living with human beings is frustrated. But today I want to be my best. What can I do? Change the self-talk. That changes the behaviors and the, the attitude. That changes the behaviors. Everything is better when I take personal accountability. It's just really an amazing principle. And it's all we teach at QBQ. It's the only thing we teach. One thing, personal accountability. 
Your primary focal points here, I mean, we've got, if I lump work, career, and business together, um, you've, you've talked already about marriage and about par- parenting. Would you kind of put those as your top three focal points to walk out? Okay, our emphasis daily in the marketplace is the corporate world. Right. But what's it, funny, see, I sold this leadership training for a decade. So I was calling on VPs of sales and CEOs and VPs of HR and VPs of operations and all that. So I learned a lot from the age of 28 to 36. Then I went off on my own, but I mined the QBQ from that experience, talking to executives, sitting in training sessions. So all my work has been corporate. But as I was teaching QBQ, people would come up and 80% of every audience are, are moms and dads. And they'd come up and they'd say, oh, I can, I can use this at home. Do you have it in a parenting format? And for a long time, we didn't. Now we have Raising Accountable Kids, that book. And people would say, I can use this at home. We've never written a marital book, and I don't think we ever will. But this, the astute reader can take QBQ home and instantly apply it to their marital relationship. But on a daily basis, Kevin, not sure if this is what you were asking, but we license training to corporations. We seek corporate engagement, speaking engagements. And we sell a slug of books through QBQ.com to corporations. We have many, many, many repeat buyers that they just come back and they come back because as they hire new people, they want to knock the chaff off the wheat. They want to get rid of the entitlement thinking and tell the new people, hey, we believe in accountability here. It's our core value. Well, yeah, it's kind of a, uh, I won't say an easy sell, but who does not want that? That's, that's. uh... but, But here's the trick. Here's why it's an easy sell. People want it for everybody else. Well, sure. <laughs> people, people hire us to fix their people. Yeah. People buy books to fix their people. And of course, I've always got the dad in the audience who's going to buy the QBQ book and take it right home and give it to his millennial son who's on the couch watching Walking Dead reruns. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, hey, you've done a good job at giving people what they want so that you can give them what they need. It's interesting to talk uh, to hear your your own trajectory, Tom. I assume it's the same with Zig. Here he is talking sales, talking uh, you know motivation, inspiration to corporate world, to the business world, and then I imagine the same thing. The lines were full of moms and dads and people, and then here comes his book on on marriage, on kids. Uh, yeah, and, and the reality is, is we know this that all of life. And all of business is about relationships. Right, it is. It is. And, until, and until we own the relationship where we take responsibility for it, yep. we're accountable to how we develop relationships. How can I help you? What can I do for you? You know, you can have everything in life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. Right, absolutely. I, I mean, it's, it's just a, a simple process. And, and, you know, one of the stories I love is, we were called in a big client. They were having a lot of turnover. They thought there was a communication problem between management and millennials. You know, you got ex-Marines uh, hiring 25-year-old millennials, and they don't communicate on the same level. But we discovered that wasn't the problem. The problem was the young person was a new married, brand new baby, and they were having relationship problems at home. And so we had to help fix that. And so it's so important when you start asking, what can I do? Then you can get into the real solutions that are available. And the the QBQ, if I dare say this, it's an elegant solution because it's easily applied and understood. There is um, one other firm out there that talks about accountability, but our clients have told us it got complicated. And there's something about the QBQ book where it's not beneath 
and please don't take my language wrong, I hope so. It's not beneath the CEO and it's not above the receptionist. There's something about the QBQ message where no matter what level or title you hold in the business world, you can read it. And if you're open to it, you can see yourself. You can see yourself. Because each of us has relationships, Tom, like you just said, whether it's at home or at work, community, church. And we've got churches using our Specs and Planks product based on Matthew 7, 1 through 5, where Christ said, before you remove the speck from your wife's eye, take the plank out of your own. Mm -hmm. So I didn't start out to build products for churches and parents, but it just led to that. I'm sure just like your dad, though, I would never pretend to be as influential as Zig Ziglar. Never. Well, well, let me just say this. I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of what I call the intellectual architect. I go all nerdy on stuff and I'm, I'm <laughs> listening to uh, Rabbi Lapp and, uh, and I'm not sure if you know him. He's good friends with Dave Ramsey and I've heard the name, but I don't know. Good friends with dad. But he talked about this. He said, there's two kinds of law. There are descriptive laws and proscriptive laws. So the law of gravity, we didn't invent that law. We just described it. Right. right? Right. And a proscriptive law would be like, okay, we all need to wear seatbelts in the car, right? The government just says, you're wearing a seatbelt. That's prescriptive. Okay. And so what I love about QBQ versus maybe some of the other more complicated accountability type training mm-hmm. is QBQ is, is descriptive. I mean, it, it describes what's going on anyway in the shortest message possible. It's, it's the way God created us. That's, that's so well said, Tom. I think, I should hire you. <laughs> yeah. But, but personal accountability has existed for 2,000 years. It was taught in the Bible. All we're doing with QBQ is giving a husband, a boss, a manager, an employee, an executive, a colleague a way to pause and not react with blame and finger pointing and whining, victim thinking and procrastination, but pause and say, well, what can I do in this situation to make things better? And there's all kinds of stories in the book. I mean, I teach through stories. Your dad, you folks probably teach through stories. We all know they remember the stories before they remember the content. But if they can remember the stories, they will remember the content. Okay, well, on that, you talking about the book, which I hold here before me for our viewing audience. Um, I love the way it's written, uh, just plain and simple. It is simple. You don't belabor a point. Uh, you didn't fill it with fluff or, or go so far down the rabbit hole that you you lost it. It's short. It's poignant. Actionable chapters. I love uh, page 117. We read too many books. Uh, that's been a soapbox of mine. However, you don't have QBQ, go get it. You got to get that one at least, um, before you stop. But right now, so I got two more questions for you, John, before we wrap up. And I mean, right now there's nobody listening, including us. Who's hundred percent perfect in the area of personal accountability, just as no one is perfectly healthy physically. So I do a lot of work in the wellness industry. And if I had to hit a high point for, for health, some core roots to offer somebody, you know, I might lead with something like, you know, get more and better sleep, cut out sugar, processed foods and gluten, eat more veggies and eat less. Nobody's going to be harmed by doing that. It will help everybody to some degree. Those four things will, will do a drastic amount. So in that same, with that as an analogy, in regards to personal accountability and taking action, what are some of the number one areas that we can all write down right now? And folks, I would pause this uh, wherever you're at. Wait, if you get back from your commute, think about this, write down, uh, where are some ways that we can write down and take action on to make radical changes right now today towards a personal accountability mindset? Sure. I always think it's good to identify the negative feelings we've been having. Frustration, disappointment, anger, 
Those are real things. We all suffer from them. Write them down and then identify what you believe is the source of those. What is the source of my frustration? Frustration really means my goals are being blocked. So what's the source of this? What's the source of my anger? What's the source of my disappointment? And if it leads back to an individual, ask yourself, have I been waiting for that person to change? Have I been trying to change that person? If I wanted to fix them, if I had said, if only they would do this, then I would have a better life. So I would always start with my negative feelings and then lead it back to the people involved and maybe the things, you know, like my sales numbers are down. What can I do to improve those sales numbers? But in the end, and I know, you know, Zig used to say repetition is the mother of learning. I would say, listen to yourself. What questions have you been asking? Do they begin with why and have a poor me tone? Do they begin with when, where you're waiting for others to do something? Do they begin with who, and you're really just pointing fingers and blaming? Write those questions down. We call them IQs, incorrect questions. IQs, incorrect questions. Then take the three guidelines taught in the QBQ book and turn those IQs into QBQs using the guidelines. Begin with what or how, contain an eye, focus on action. So start with reality, those negative feelings. Start with the people in your life that you've been trying to fix, but then go to those IQs you've been asking, turn them into QBQs, and begin to ask those better questions. That's when we flip the switch. And I will mention, probably every author has a forgotten book. This is the companion book to QBQ, Flipping the Switch. And that deals with trust, learning, service, ownership, and creativity. But it uses the QBQ message, the tool of the QBQ, to help me really flip the switch. And I will never be the type of person Tom was talking about, you know, the three by three by three, until I flip the switch and take an ownership for my life. Okay. So as you talk about that, starting with the negative feelings and question, of course, I'm thinking about myself, but since you are the guy in the hot seat today, I'll let you answer the question, John. So as a master and evangelist of personal accountability, where do you occasionally find yourself faltering? Where do you have to bolster John Miller? Silly you. Don't you know I'm perfect? Yeah. Well, you know, I thought I'd take a chance. My last name's Miller, Kevin Miller. I'm perfect. All all the Millers. Yeah, absolutely. Hey. We have about 99 relationships in this family. I don't think the math is quite right, but I have seven kids and a wife. That's eight. We have seven grandchildren. That's 15. We have uh, four in-laws, you know, son-in-laws and daughter-in-laws, 19. So, you know, 19 times 18, you've got all kinds of relationships in this family. And every single one of them requires a different kind of skill, ability, attitude, words you say, techniques, maintenance, you know what I'm saying? So I am constantly, constantly challenged to work with one child in a different way than another because daughter Molly, who's 26, brings certain problems to me. Daughter Tara, who's 32 and runs a business, brings certain problems to us. My only son, Michael, brings certain attitudes to me. And I'm always working on being that kind of dad who never is so controlling, those grown kids don't want to be with me. We have a Raising Accountable Kids Facebook page too. And we posted an image recently that basically said, do you want to raise kids who want to be with you when they're grown? Then start letting go as they grow. So I'm always having to think, what's the best answer here? What's the best action here? What's the best question here? So my kids come to me and want help, but I'm not trying to fix their stuff. And I'm not trying to tell them what to do because we have seven millennials 
We live with seven millennials. Forget about seven, employing them. Our kids, we don't live with them. They're not home, most of them, but they're 34 down to 18 and a half. They're all millennials as defined by being born after 2000. So we're constantly mm-hmm. dealing with that class of, of people, those wonderful people, those young people. But again, bringing it back to me, I always have to be careful what I say, the way I'm processing, letting go. We teach the ultimate QBQ. I know I'm rambling here, but I'm a speaker. The QBQ, the ultimate QBQ, here it is. How can I let go of what I can't control? The answers are in the questions. That is an amazing question. Once you can't fix a problem, once you can't give advice, once you can't solve something, sometimes you got to ask the ultimate QBQ, how can I let go of what I can't control? That is an, an, an important question to ask no matter what role I play in life. And I need to ask it all the time because I have so many relationships. Okay. You know what? I lied. I got one more question. Decade, decade and a half into this message. It kind of looks like you're, you're starting to reach your prime. John is what I'm thinking uh, is where do you see literally the next decade in this evolution? Where do you feel it's, it's going to go or where are you headed right now already and working towards? You know, I was, uh, it's a dirty job. Somebody had to do it. I was down in Aruba last week. Disappointing. Yeah. And my brother-in-law asked the same question. My, my wife's sister's husband, he's, he's 64. He said, so John, where's, where are you going to take QBQ from here? And I said, no change. Hmm. I am happy with the five or six books we have on the market. I mean, we just came out with the QBQ workbook. Our, our readers for years have asked for a personal application tool. This is brand new. We've got the outstanding book. You know, I'm just, these are, I only have six books. That's it. I don't think I have anything else I want to teach. It's all in these books. Okay. We have a program we license to our clients. They can implement in-house. I love to go out and speak. So there's nothing new on the horizon because QBQ is already like 2,000 years old because it's just (laughs) personal accountability, Matthew 7, 1 through 5. But what's still in our future is Kristen. Kristen is 34 years old. She has been speaking on QBQ for eight years, eight years. Started her in 2008, nine years now. And she's the future of this company. And it is great fun watching a millennial, a millennial, go out and say, hey, let's not be entitled. Let's not point fingers. Let's not blame. So if there's any next step, it's just anything I can do to support Kristen as she takes over this company. That's awesome. legacy. It's legacy. I love it. Right. Yep. Thank you, Tom. Absolutely. We talked about Dave Ramsey. We re- recently uh, interviewed Rachel Cruz, his daughter, and I know his yes. big focus right now is succession. We've talked about that a lot. And in a lot of ways, that's where we're at with Ziggler, uh, the succession as the message continues to grow and bringing other personalities in. John, awesome. Uh, just a gift. I'm Yeah, I'm inspired. I got some notes to take action on. I'm excited to give this to the audience. Thanks for doing us, doing this with us for for uh, yes, yeah, sharing your message, sharing your heart, uh, complete gift. We're so grateful. Well, great fun, and what an honor to be with both of you. I told my daughter Kristen earlier. I said Kevin's the son of Dan Miller, and Tom's the son of Zig Ziglar. I said, so Kristen, I guess you should be doing this interview because you're the son of John <laughs> Miller. And she said, Dad, you're not them. Oh, oh, come on! Next time, next time, we'll keep her in mind. Uh, it's awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much again, folks. Thanks for being with us as we inspire our true performance together. Talk with you on the next Ziggler Show.